This is the Bedford Blues Podcast. Sean McCarthy, nice to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me round. Uh, we're sat in your garden in Bedford, enjoying um, what is a pretty blustery day. Uh, but I, uh, I just wanted to make sure you're okay. You're in the midst of a of a funny old season. How are you? And uh, and and how's it been going? Uh, hi Sam. Uh, yeah, very well, thanks. You're not wrong. It has been a funny season, a funny year. You know, we've gone over and round the houses about that. But yeah, I'm good. Um, enjoyed being back. Enjoyed playing. You know, as you said, it's been funny, but we're looking forward to sort of it's getting back more normal week by week, and especially as the crowds are slowly starting to dribble in. And you know, throughout that last game against Amtill, then you know that's all we're looking forward to, really. I don't really want to make this interview about COVID, but obviously the last year has been dominated by the way that that it is that it's hit the sport. In your words, can you sort of see or tell me how? you feel um, it's affected you and, 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 and the way that you have viewed what you've been doing? Yeah, I mean, personally, I think it gave me a chance, probably a lot of people in my similar positions, you know, the sort of older players uh, around the league and the championship, a chance to sort of look at life after rugby. It's one of those things, you know, you play rugby all your life and people always say to you, what are you going to do afterwards? And uh, to do anything on the side and people I do know that have retired, the only advice they give is do it early because when it happens to you and you do have to retire, it'll hit you like a ton of bricks and if you haven't got plans in motion, then um, <laughs> you'll be struggling. So, yeah, I think it, it really forced me to look at what I want to do as opposed to just putting it off and say, oh, I'll do something next year, I'll do something next year. It made me look at it and you had the time and, and the yeah the free time really to to make strides towards it as opposed to just putting it off and has it been a process that you've enjoyed I know that sounds strange because obviously you know you boys love playing rugby and not playing rugby can't have been enjoyable but was there was there a sense of discovery that was enjoyable during that period the first probably two months of it were a welcome relief I mean we, we were actually it was March wasn't it so we were sort of looking towards the end of the season when it all happened anyway, we probably only had five or six games left. I can't really remember, to be honest. Um, and yeah, it was that extended break from rugby that I, I personally quite enjoyed. Um, but that did quickly, you know, that, that two months draws to an end and you can't train properly and you're not seeing the people you're used to seeing day in, day out and you're not having the crack with the lads and, and yeah, you're not playing rugby at the end of the day. That, you know, it's, it's those sort of things that did start to grind at me. Um, and just missing the day-to-day being in a rugby club is something I've done since I was 18 years old and to have that just you know taken away and as I said it was it was quite refreshing for for the first period but as it as it drew on and you, you know you find yourself twiddling your thumbs a bit you just just desperate to get back into the environment and training and playing and yeah having a bit of crap with the lads. You're a West Midlands boy originally where's your rugby home where is your rugby birthplace if you like? Uh, I've never actually been asked that. Um, it is Stratford, Stratford Rugby Club. Um, I went down there in the under nines. Um, I played football, I, you know, ever since I was younger. I was desperate to be a professional footballer. And I played for Strat- Stratford Town um, and did that. And eventually, one of the dads said to my dad, probably when I was around eight years old, do you think he's in the right sport? Because I was... Uh, centre-half defender and constantly getting yellow-carded and red-carded in, you know, under-sevens football matches. 
So, and this dad, his his son played for Stratford Rugby. So we went down and fell in love with it really, and played a bit of both. Played football, played rugby for a few more years, but ever since then, I was rugby through and through. Why? What? What? What was it? Can you remember the connection with rugby? Is it? Is it one particular thing? Is it? A, is it a group of things? I think it's probably the physicality. Um, I think that's definitely all it was. As I said, I was always too rough for football and I was quite a big kid. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was the physicality and, and being able to throw yourself around and get dirty and get muddy and have fun. It's basically it. That's all I can remember from it, really. Did you play it in any shape or form at school or was it a club environment? Uh, so it's club first. Um, I went to normally, normal primary school until I was 11 and then went to Warwick School. Um, and that's obviously there, a massive rugby school. Um, and again, I played school rugby there, and I combined that with club up until I think around 13 is when they sort of they make you play just school rugby. Um, and they we were very successful at school rugby. Um, I was in the we won the Daily Mail Cup I think in 2007 and did a few other bits and bobs like that. And I think now Warwick School one of the you know consistently one of the best rugby schools in the country. And from there, did Worcester Warriors come to you or was it a, an easy option to sign yourself up to what theoretically at the time must have looked like professional rugby? Yeah, I mean, so Worcester had the links with Warwick School. I mean, I presume it still works the same way, but each premiership club has catchment areas and they, you know, they have EPDGs and things like that. So, yeah, from the time I was about 15, I was loosely involved with Worcester um, doing sessions. They would come to the schools or the areas and... And yeah, I think I played a couple of under-18s games for them um, and things like that. And then they offered, I think, three of us at Warwick School at the time um, academy contracts to go. Um, and two of us took them up, took it up. And my whole idea was, oh, I'll go and play professional rugby for a year, get into great shape, <laughs> get really fit, really muscly. And then I'd go off to university and... Um, <laughs> and be the bell of the ball as it were but uh, it didn't quite work out like that I mean I, I did three years at Worcester in the end um, and I enjoyed it I mean looking back the way the academies used to be run well Worcester especially it was a bit archaic um, and none of us really studied I mean Worcester University is a big university and I'm sure nowadays everyone is pushed into doing degrees and it's part of the you know the deal when you sign for an academy but when I was there it was more of a if you were studying at Worcester Uni and you were trying to be involved in Worcester you weren't really looked at seriously it was you're either full-time rugby or you're a student and you're coming up to make numbers every now and again um, but yeah did three years there and then broke my foot my last year the sort of make or break year when I was around 20 and that was it for me I'd missed a chunk of the season and that's how it goes really if you're if you don't make it then then they have to cut you loose you make it sound so matter of fact, but it, it must have, it must have been a, a big seminal moment in your in your sort of formative career, and it must have been something that you had to deal with, and you ended up going off in a slightly different direction. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's really the stereotypical story of most Championship players. You know, they start at a Premiership club for whatever reason, it doesn't quite work out, and they have to drop down a level, um, which is what I did. I I'd been on loan at various clubs throughout my time at Worcester and um, when I got let go um, I had I got put in touch with uh, Ben Harvey at Jersey um, 
just through mutual that he was mutual friends with the coaches I played for at um, Birmingham Solihull Bees and it was the year Jersey just got promoted into the championship and it was it was just a great option for me it's something I really look forward to doing as I said I've been at Worcester for three years and going and living in this island of Jersey that to be honest I knew nothing about I had no idea didn't when I when I turned up there didn't even know where I was living I just got given an address drove there didn't have any pictures um, unfortunately it was fine <laughs> as you can imagine most of the island is is quite nice so got lucky there but yeah it was it was great for me to to go and do that and then, and then play regular rugby week in week out I mean my first two years at Jersey I played every single game I think which is something after being in an academy you're just obviously not used to doing and it must have been feeling as though you had in a way sort of made it I mean maybe the premiership bubble had, had sort of burst but that that's the next best option isn't it Oh, definitely. And I wouldn't change it at all. I mean, going from the fully professional Worcester setup to Jersey at the time are nothing like they are now. Jersey are now a very professional outfit. When I got there, they were still hard. As I said, they just got promoted to the championship. They had a lot of local Jersey boys still playing for them. Um, And it was very split. They had a lot of people that were still working. Um, and training so we train in the evenings and there was probably about 10 of us that were you know full-time pros as it were where we could do our weights in the day bit of skills and then train in the evening but it was you know it was still it was well I'd say it's probably a very national one setup you know lads go to work come and train in the evenings everyone's training in different kit (laughs) it's you know it's not your fully professional setup but as I said I loved it I think it was more just getting to play week in week out and actually feeling part of the team which you know you don't you probably don't quite get when you're an academy kid what about the Irish roots where do they where do they lay um so I'm adopted at birth um and my birth parents are both fully Irish so I qualified by blood um and again it wasn't something I was desperate to follow up on um as I was growing up I think somehow someone got in touch from the Irish Exiles setup um, when I was around 15, I think. And I think it was the under-16s Irish Exiles I played for um, against a couple of games. And then again, I think again I played for some Ireland, Irish 18s stuff. And then again, the 20s, I was in the World Cup squad or the Six Nations squad, whichever one it was, and then didn't make the final cut and got released just before the tournament. So my name was, all, I think, was kicking about in Ireland at that time when I was younger. Um, and then I think more than anything, we, so my second year at Jersey is when the British and Irish Cup was still a thing. Um, and we had Leinster in our pool. And by chance, I, I played really well in both those games when we played Leinster and at the time with Jersey, well, they still do have a really strong set piece, but our set piece and our scrum was unbelievable. And we, we ran them off the park and, you know, as, as far as the front rower goes, we had a great game, smashed the scrum up, set piece domination and just had two good games against them. And, and from there, um, I think they just got in touch with my agent, realised I was Irish qualified and it, and it all went from there, really. That's a name in world sport, that, well, certainly world rugby, <laughs> that makes you go... Oh, it must, that must have been for you. There must have been a moment where you thought, well, that, 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 that's a brand, isn't it? It was great and it was very much sort of dream come true because it's, again, stereotypical story. You know, you drop down a league to, to prove yourself and then go back up. And on the face of it, I'd 
gone down and then I was going up to, to arguably the best team in Europe or one of one of them um, and I was over the moon with it really and yeah it was great I went there and had unfortunately one season um, and that's it's basically I they moved me to hooker which on the face of it I, I agree with the argument at the time was you're probably too small to be you know a top flight international loose head but you're a skillful player you're fit and you know you'd make a, a good sized hooker which is very true to be honest and I agree with it the only problem is it came right at the end of pre-season when all of the other hookers at Leinster were injured or unavailable so I played one game and then after that one game all of the other hookers were back fit and I was then stuck at I think fifth or sixth choice hooker basically um, and I didn't play again that year um, and then from there you know if you don't play you, you're probably not going to get re-signed so you know I, I look back on it if I had my time again I'd you know probably argue and maybe try and negotiate some form of contract extension if after moving position so late on in the year but it is what it is and you know you can't really that's what happened unfortunately <laughs> I'm finding out a huge amount about you and, and the way that, that that you must have had um, quite a quite a, a mindset to sort of get through and, and push through and make these sort of opportunities well bounce from these opportunities to a certain extent do you do you recognize that in yourself are you I know it's very difficult to reflect and I, I'm, I'm not looking to, to create some sort of therapy session here but <laughs> do, you, do you recognize a, a sort of an ability in yourself to to sort of deal with the the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune if I can call them that um I don't think it's anything special about me. I think, on the whole, a lot of rugby players, you have to sort of roll with the punches and you, you take things when they come your way and there are obviously enormous letdowns in professional sport and you have to deal with them a certain way, otherwise you probably won't last in it. You know, if you take everything to heart and you, and you don't, you know, have faith in your abilities and, some, you know, if someone lets you go and you agree with them, then you, you're probably not going to make it for, for much longer, so... Yeah, I think you're just being thick-skinned, really. And when you take, when you have those opportunities, you've got to give it all you've got, and hopefully it'll pan out. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. And you know, you can't fight fate, as it were. You make it sound so straightforward, but yeah, <laughs> I think that's probably one of the most difficult parts to get right as a professional sportsman. Everyone goes into the game thinking that it's about playing and doing the fun bits and scoring tries in front of loads of fans and well, do being man of the match. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, be, being and playing is, is what young people think, but what you've outlined there is, is much more of a, of a, of a mental and, and physical battle away from the, from the spotlight. And, and that might be something. I mean, if you spoke to young players, you know, you got the chance to sort of say, an 18-year-old came to you and said, oh, I'm really looking to get into rugby. Your, what would your advice be? What sort of things would you say to them? I think it's 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 very different now. Well, if you'd have asked me when I was 21, 22, just coming out of a Premiership Academy, I would have said, don't bother going to an academy, go to a, a champ club or a National One club and play every week. Nowadays, I think it's very different. I think a profession, uh, Premiership teams are better at having their academy kids do things outside of rugby, whether that's studying, whether that be, I don't know, 
apprenticeships or anything. I mean, people have interests all over the things and helping them start businesses and things like that. I think it's a much better place to be in. And I think they're probably better at getting you game time at higher level clubs. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things. I think it's a very different scenario to when I was 18, 19. But at the same time, it's almost a running joke in the league of the sort of championship battler player that, you know, doesn't want to give up on the dream and will carry on week in, week out, getting paid not very much money and putting his body through the mill. And unfortunately, that is a very true story. I mean, <laughs> the championship salaries are nowhere near at the league above, obviously. And for, at most clubs, most premiership outfits, such as... Um, most championship clubs outfits that are very professional such as Jersey the workload is exactly the same as a premiership club if not more you know you talk you know the the hours you're at the club the amount of time in the weight room the meetings the training sessions all those things you're doing the same thing put your body through the same very physical very dangerous job for a fraction of um, of what the big boys earn just going back to the timeline of things, 2017 is when Bedford signed you, 10th of March 2017, there you go, thank you very much I didn't have to look that one up. (laughs) (laughs) I might have had to look that one up, but talk about the timeline, where where were you, where did did Bedford tempt you from? So I did, after my first two years at Jersey, and then I went to Leinster for one season after that, and then from there Jersey took me back, Uh, did another two years, and that was when I left, uh, came to Bedford after my second two years at so Jersey. So Jersey must have changed. You mentioned about the, the first session yes. that you had at, yeah. at Jersey. Jersey might have been a different club when you went back and yeah, towards they, the end of your they were. tenure. So the year I left Jersey towards the end of that year is when they changed head coach. So the head coach that brought me over, um, Ben Harvey, um, was let go and they brought in Harvey Biljon, who's the current uh, Jersey head coach who was at Pirates at the time. And, uh, yeah, it, it was it was a much more professional outfit um, when I went back. And Steve Bowden, the current Doncaster uh, DOR, was forwards coach there as well. Um, yeah, and it was a very different place. Much more regiment. <laughs> um, and I enjoyed my first two years a hell of a lot more than I did my second two. Let's <laughs> put it that way. Okay. <laughs> well, we, we won't dive any further into that. Yeah. Um, but Bedford came along. What, what did Bedford mean to you at that time what, what what was the what was the brand that bedford represented in your mind and we'll, we'll talk about whether or not they fulfilled that but what was what was what was the bit that tempted you in thought, oh yeah that sounds a good idea um well it the brand everyone knows and associates with bedford was the brand i agreed with and knew um and what really tempted me was alex ray uh he had signed to come as a player coach from jersey to bedford as he'd been a previous Bedford player and had a good relationship with Mikey Rea. And it was mainly him, to be honest. I mean, I knew I wanted to leave Jersey. I'd had, you know, there's a, there's a general sort of two-year life cycle at Jersey and I'd been through it twice. <laughs> um, and I, I wanted, wanted a change. I wanted to be closer to home. So um, and Bedford was a great fit. I think Razor put in a good word for me with Mike. Um, and, and that was it, really. Um, and it all, it's all panned out very well, <laughs> fortunately <laughs> enough. Well, it, it has panned out very well. You, you've captained the club. You've uh, hopefully enjoyed the seasons that you've that you've that you've uh, that you've taken part in. Uh, we talked about how perhaps things have, have 
become uh, a little bit difficult over the last season. But this season in particular, I mean, just just you touched on it a little bit earlier, but the club has changed again. It's 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 sort of uh, created a, a partnership with Northampton Saints, and and you are part of a group of players who whose roles have taken on a slightly different hue because you've got these academy players come in from a Premiership club, and no doubt looking at you and saying, "What advice have you got? What what yeah. how has that how has that worked itself out?" Yeah. Um... I mean, when I first turned up to Bedford, it, it, it was definitely, it fulfilled everything I wanted it to be. As I said, I was probably at a point in my rugby career when I was pretty dejected with it and wasn't really enjoying it. And those first two years at Bedford were, you know, reignited the flame. I mean, we had a great team. Um, Lee Dixon, Michael Bourgeois, Jared Williams, Tom Lindsay, and, we, and, and Charlie Clare when he was in the mix as well. And we had two years where we were, you know, I think we finished third two years on the bounce and it was great and it was one of those where everything just enjoying everything about rugby on-field stuff was great it's great group of lads off the field um you know the social scene was great <laughs> as you can imagine the Bedford Blues with those names as well <laughs> um and yeah um and then it, it's one of those transitionary things that happens in rugby squads turn around and you have to build a new squad and that's what last season before COVID, I think, was the start of that with, um, you know, there, w- there was quite a lot of player turnaround. And with that, it takes time to sort of new players to bed in, you know, br- have you brought the right sort of players in? And that, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a year or two to sort of build up a squad again where you're in that position where, you know, everything's clicking and you're playing well and all that stuff. And, and then, yeah, and then obviously COVID happened and everything went out the window and brings us to this year with the deal with Northampton Saints which you know is great and I think without the deal I mean the board have said I don't know if it would have come true but I think we'd have struggled to field team without that loan deal I mean with everything that's gone on with the funding cuts from the RFU and obviously no crowds and attendance and the business model's pretty knackered so without having that those players available yeah, I think we'd have done a London Scottish and maybe had to pull from the, pull from the league for a season. Um, but they've been great, to be fair, all those young lads from Saints. Uh, sometimes with lone players, you get the impression they don't want to be there or they may think they're a bit above it. Um, but to a man, all of those have been great. You know, they've sort of tried to buy into the Bedford Blues way, which you know we've tried to provide in a way. I mean, it's quite difficult <laughs> when there's not that many of you left and you know you're trying to create an atmosphere and live up to the atmosphere that we've had in the past and you know it, it is difficult but as I said they they have all been great and they it's, it's sort of gone both ways as well I mean we've had a year of not training properly or you know before we started again of just doing a bit of conditioning games and meeting up as you know when there's only about 10 of us trying to train and it, and it obviously isn't the most professional because you can't train properly I remember when they first started coming into training and they were almost driving the standards, really, because they're used to being training on the Phantom Saints, fully professional. We've got great players all around them. You know, they they probably forced us to sort of go, oh, bloody hell, we, we need to sort of switch on again because rugby's going to, it's just around the corner. And if, and if we're not switched on, we're going to be left behind by all the young lads. So, yeah, it works both ways. But as I said to a man, they've, they've really bought in and they've been great. People listening may well have guessed where this conversation might be headed. Um, but this year you, you've decided to retire from, from Rugby Union. Um, 
Was that a gradual thought? Was it a snap decision? Do you remember the process of, of coming to that conclusion? Um, this The whole... <laughs> It has been gradual, to be honest. I mean, I, I was desperately looking forward to rugby starting up again. And um, it's quite hard to get, probably for, my, for mentally and physically to go from not playing to having to ramp it up in the matter of sort of six weeks to be getting ready to be playing again. And I was looking really looking forward to it. And it's just, I think it's a long time to not be playing. And part of me is sort of just you know my heart's not in it as it used to be sort of thing and once I sort of realised that and it dawned on me that if my heart's not in it as it should be then I'm probably not going to be given the, the best performances and it's probably that time to hang up your boots as it were you know Again you have this amazing way of making something sound so so simple and straightforward but I, I, I guess it isn't it's been part of what you've been doing and are you not not worried you're going to fill your life and you can certainly tell us how you're going to fill your life with other things but are you are you worried a little bit about the, the rugby shaped hole that might be left behind yeah definitely as I said it's something I've done professionally for 12 13 years and before that I've played rugby obviously all my life near enough so I don't I won't go cold turkey on rugby I don't think um I'd love to stay involved at the club in some regard. I mean, I, I don't entirely know what that'll look like at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I, I, think, I think if I was to just, you know, fade away and never touch a rugby ball again or never be out there on the training field or, you know, get the environment of a match, it would be quite difficult. And I think a lot of people would really struggle with that. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it would help my transition to be still in touch in some way even if that's just running the water on on a weekend. <laughs> Incredibly well-qualified water carrier. Yeah. Um, you're going to stick around this part of the world? Tell us what you're going to do. Uh, yeah, well, we've got um, me and my fiance. We've got our house here in Bedford, just around the corner from the club. Got no plans to up sticks or anything as of yet. Um, uh, I started a the, the sort of next step professionally is to get into property development. Um, so flipping houses and all those sorts of things. It's quite a common move, I think, for professional sportsmen to generally move into. It doesn't involve many qualifications, <laughs> which I do not have many of. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's the, uh, the next step. But as I said, I'd, I'd like to keep a toe, even if it's the littlest toe, dipped into rugby. The decision over the last uh, couple of years from the... I say it's a couple of years. I, I lose track of exactly when it happened because of because of everything that has happened. But the, the RFU has uh, decided to to cut the funding to England second tier quite drastically to the to the point where it almost looks as though it would be very very difficult, if not impossible, for most of the clubs in the Championship to carry on for too much longer. Um, if I was to give you an opportunity to speak to the RFU. What would you say? <laughs> I think I'd have to choose my words very carefully. Um, I think everyone has the same thoughts about it. It's it's been left. The championship has been left, you know, high and dry, really. Um, as I said, there's players in this league that have battled on, and coaches in this league, and fans in this league, and owners of the league, and everyone involved with all these clubs that have deep histories in rugby. That, you know 
may not have desperate dreams of getting to the Premiership, but have dreams of being a top-flight English rugby club and playing the best rugby they can and being a useful tool to English rugby. I mean, it's been spoken about so many times, the quality players that have played in the Championship and sort of applied their trade and then gone up to greater things. I mean, you look at the Lions squad that's just been announced and the, the number of those that have played, you know, some of them have played stacks of Championship games, some of them have just dropped in and played a couple. But there's no doubt that the league has been very important to nurturing young English talent. And at the end of the day, each rugby club is a business. And if they can't afford to be ran in a way that will nurture that talent, then that talent's going to have nowhere to go and play and won't get nurtured. So, as you said, it makes things very difficult for all of the clubs, especially clubs like Bedford, who still run on a more traditional model as far as the bulk of their income comes from match day attendances, uh, funding from the RFU, and then a group of the board members, as opposed to you know teams that are financially backed up by one man or, or, or a couple of men. So to have the funding just pulled from underneath with, as it, when it happened at the time, it was almost with no warning, I think. I remember speaking to Jeff about it and, and also Mikey and just came out of nowhere almost. Just one day it was there to be renegotiated and the next it was, we're cutting it to, God knows what it's been cut to. It's been slashed about three times, I think, over the last year. So, I mean, I, I don't know the answer, but it, it certainly seems like the RFU is doing their best to create a bigger gulf between the leagues and ring fence it and make it a community game for the championship I don't want to end this chat <laughs> on that note uh, so before, I will ask you one final question but before I do just, just on behalf of the fans from a purely fans point of view I've always loved watching what you did and how you did it uh, enjoyed your brand of rugby enjoyed those wonderful soft hands of yours which really are uncommon in the front row and in your position. So I really, really enjoyed it. And I think I speak on behalf of every Bedford Blues fan to say thank you, Sean McCarthy. It's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure, a real treat. Um, let's end on a positive note. Your fav- can you nail down your favourite? It can be a moment, it can be a game. Your favourite moment in a Blues jersey? <laughs> so, my favourite one in a Blues jersey is um, my first year when we beat... Munster in the BNI away, so not you know obviously not many teams go to Munster away and win. It was one of my first few proper. I think it's probably the sixth or seventh game of the year in that first British and Irish Cup block, and um, yeah, we went away to Munster and won, and that was definitely probably my favourite memory in a blue shirt. What the Bedford fans probably won't like to hear is my favourite memory in rugby in total is probably in a Jersey red shirt against Bedford Blues. Uh, and that was my first year at Jersey when we, I think the last game of the season, we had to get a five-point win to stay, uh, to avoid relegation. And that last game of the season was against Bedford. And we came over here and somehow after winning, I think we'd won only one game that season. We somehow managed to scrape a five-point win against a, a very strong and far superior Bedford Blues side. Um, but that was my first proper memory of Goldington Road. And <laughs> although the fans probably weren't all on our side, it was still absolutely rocking. You see, there you go, Goldington Road. It's, it's, <laughs> we talked about spiritual rugby homes. Maybe yeah. Goldington Road could play a little part in that for two reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> definitely yeah. Sean McCarthy, thank you very much indeed. Brilliant. Cheers, Alex.